to episode 61 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Brought to you today by the letter N. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> We're coming to you uh, almost live from high atop the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here with the new head of the International Monetary Fund, Mondo Grimes. Yes. And uh, joining us from Studio B in San Luis Obispo, California, a man who announced just this week he will not be seeking the presidency in 2012, Aaron Porter. <laughs> Brother Aaron. Yeah, okay. I was thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, well, here it is. It's, I mean, once again, it's a brand new day. It's a new mm-hmm. podcast. We've yep. got a great guest with us today in the studio here in Franklin. None other than Raymond Presson is in the seat. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a great talk with him. We've been having some good guests lately, man. We have. And uh, the guest list uh, is continuing to look bright. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, so what, what, what have you been up to, man? Yeah, what can I say? I'm grinding away still on the NASCAR book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh oh. What do you got going down Uh-oh. there, Raymond? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was listening to the the, the podcast yesterday with uh, that you had with with Dan. Yeah, yeah. From last week, and you mentioned uh, you know working on a NASCAR book or, or something. And yeah. I told you when I came in, I said you you just mentioned NASCAR and that'll be my cue. Yeah. Because I'm I'm from North Carolina. All right. You can't spell North Carolina. I'm sure the word NASCAR is in the word yeah. North Carolina Absolutely. kind of somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you can't keep this. But oh, my. I just handed him a photo of me when I was six years old sitting in, whose car is that, Nate? Number 43. Pekin. That, uh, that is, that's Petty's. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Holy For those smokes. of you who can't see this on video, Nate is just <laughs> Nate, Nate, Nate is he's, speechless. I am speechless. He seems to be enjoying it. <laughs> Are you are you in the actual car? That's me sitting in the in, in the, the driver's seat, uh, right before Nate now right has before a look I of surprise it. as he asks if he's in the actual <laughs> car. <laughs> no, not not at the moment. But uh, my my parents, uh, we I grew up in Winston Salem, and my parents were big NASCAR fans. Oh and, sure. And Petty got his. This was back when they actually used real cars, and they would modify them. Yeah, yeah. And he used to get his cars from Odell Matthews Chrysler Plymouth in Winston Salem. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we knew knew them, and um, my my family was uh, we were big Petty fans, and we actually went to the mo- a lot of the tracks were right there within oh sure yeah. a couple hours in of Central North Carolina. So we were uh, um, I know it's on boring on idol worship, but we were uh, big, big Petty fans and went to uh, went to a race and he, he let me sit sit in the driver's uh, seat seat of the car. Holy smokes, isn't that something? And that and that's how it was back in the day in NASCAR. The deal was that um that the fan was told he could walk into the dealership on Monday morning and buy the same car right. that won the race on Sunday afternoon. Oh wow. Unbelievable! They were only allowed to do two things to modify the car. They could take out the headlights, and they could put in a seat belt. And that's it. I mean, the windows still had to roll up and down, or, or you weren't allowed to race it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation because I can finally join in 
because I have followed Petty's career, and it was so long, and I loved when he left the Heartbreakers and got to go to the Crowd and that was brilliant. Such a good, Handle with Care is a great song, so it's real good this morning. I'm always left out. I never have my beer helmet when I need it for your conversation. Yeah, man. All right. So, so thank you. Yeah, you're so, welcome. So, Big Aaron, what you been up to, man? What have you been doing? I, I'm really excited as of this morning. I never had a special skill. You know, you think a guy that can hit like an 85-mile-an-hour curveball over the right field fence, that's that's a special thing God's given him. Not everybody can do it, small percentage. And I found out today I have one of those. Okay. It's called plunging the toilet. I seem to be the only person who can do it in the planet. I'm getting, you get I'm getting calls, calls from around the country. to go home. and uh, <laughs> So that's awesome because I always thought I never had one of those special things. And I thought plunging a toilet was like very pedestrian. Anyone yeah. can do this. Found out this morning, not true. Yeah. I'm a over-the-right-field-fence kind of plunger. Very good. And I'm, I'm not going to ask how you acquired the skill. No. Mondo. It's a God-given gift, brother. You don't train for this stuff. I'm trying to remember that in 1 Corinthians. I don't remember that being in the list. <laughs> it's, it's in the Schofield notes. So if you're a, a bottom-up reader, you you know it. It's in, it's in the message. Paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. All right, Mondo. What's happening at the at, at the Grimes Clan and at K Five Presents? Man, it's busy as all get out. Uh, yeah. I will say uh, this weekend, my, uh, my little girls uh, had a lemonade stand. Oh, really? It, it was. It was. I got to show you pictures. You're going to retire now? Yeah, I'm going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the coolest little setup, man. It, you know, they they wanted to do a lemonade stand and build. Mm-hmm. They had a sign. They painted their names on it. Yeah. Layla and Zoe's lemonade stand, and you know they're four and three, mm-hmm. so. You know, they had three types of different lemonades. Mm-hmm. Everything had brownies and cupcakes, and he set it right in front of the house. Mm-hmm. And, man, let me tell you, they, they ended up making, like, probably between 40 50 bucks. No! Between selling for $0.50 cents to a yeah. dollar at yeah. the most. Yeah. I mean, people driving by, there was, uh-huh. you know, sign at the entrance. I mean, yeah. they wanted to do it big, and it was done big and just incredible, man. It was awesome. Wow. I'm a little entrepreneur, so I'm trying to teach them how to say entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> Got all different kind of versions of the word. <laughs> you can imagine a three-year-old yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was cool, man. It was pretty. It was like it was way better than Little Rascals version. <laughs> it was really cool, man. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was really cool, man. So I, I was proud of my kids, man. It was. It was it's really only cool. right for for parents to get a cut. Well, hey, that's what I'm saying. You know, so of course I had I wanted the, you know the change you know jar whatever you had yeah, you know yeah, you yeah. empty your pockets out every evening and go. So of course I'm just. You know, giving them some business, and then you know, people are driving up. It was just cool, dude. It was really fun, really fun. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, man. So, all right, we're gonna do a meeting in a minute. Yeah, we got meetings. We get, we have any letters today? Uh, I would know if I had checked the mailbox. There we go. We can maybe do that on a break. Maybe we can. Yeah, but all so right. definitely got a meeting. And what right. else? What else we got? We, we're gonna talk to Raymond here. He's gonna yeah. tear it up. All right. Okay. And we will be back in just moments on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, pirate's life is a wonderful life for roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We're deep in deliberation over mail. There's 
an avalanche of mail and incredibly personal. We just feel like we love you all too much to divulge personal information, which leads us to our confidential mini-meeting. <laughs> all right, yeah, here it is. It, this is the confidential, highly confidential mini-meeting of the Santa Society Podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, <clears throat> my name's Nate. Hey, Nate. Hi, Nate. Hi, Nate. Uh, let's open this meeting, uh, mini-meeting of the Samson Society. Uh, we're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who've recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. We've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest strictest confidence. confidence. Uh, We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. And uh, so the the, uh, suggested topic for today's meeting is mm, neediness. Neediness. Yeah, I just picked that at random off the list, but we're not confined to that subject. Uh, You're free to share about anything that's commanding your attention. And the floor is open. Did we not do neediness like a couple weeks ago? Did we? Maybe we did. Okay, we'll flip it and do another one. Okay, I will do another one then. Hang on a second. Uh, It it might have been at my other meeting we did neediness, but I thought it was here. Brother, the the way my memory is... Oh, you know what? It it was our other meeting. I'm quite certain. So go ahead. I was asking. I wasn't uh, rebuking yet. (laughs) <laughs> uh, now, are you certain? I don't, can I trust your memory that that uh, that we didn't do it on the podcast? Oh man, I think Does I remember who brought it up. Doesn't sound familiar, but all right, okay. Then the topic. No, it's, then the it's perfect. Doc- I've still I've still got my answer, so it's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> then, all right, the floor is open, my brother. <laughs> uh, fine, I'll start. All right. Here, hey here's a, uh, yeah. I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. <clears throat> uh, it, uh, it's actually kind of a bummer that you brought this up again because I didn't like it the first time <laughs> that I had to do it. <clears throat> That's my first feeling. That's yeah. my emotional content. Yeah. I feel angry. Uh, <clears throat> my big thing with neediness is twofold. One, that I'm a server and don't like to be served. Mm -hmm. And that that looks like it's I'm not a needy person because of that. Mm -hmm. But it just becomes a a great place to hide my pride. But the more complex place is because I don't let other people serve me, I bring all of my needs home to my wife. Mm. So... I am a very needy person with what I need emotionally, physically. There's there's a list of uh, 
how she is supposed to serve me as my wife. And the really complicated part for me that I, I think I started thinking about at our first neediness talk here in San Luis is it's really hard to know what is appropriate versus inappropriate neediness. Mm -hmm. She is my wife. I am supposed to to honor her by allowing these spaces where only she can meet certain needs. Yeah. That's how God built it. Uh, and if I'm not needy at all with her, then that means I'm kind of living a life apart from her. Mm -hmm. But then there's a fine line where now I've jumped into uh, giving her responsibilities in my emotional life that weren't given to her by God, and now I'm just being needy in an inappropriate way. And that line just seems so hard to find, how to be vulnerable with my wife and in my life and not cross over to a place where now I'm handing her that which God has not. Yeah. And that's what I think about with neediness. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. Hey, Nate. <clears throat> yeah. I'm haunted. I know I have shared on this topic. I, I'm now really starting to wonder: Did we do it on the podcast? We may have. That's it doesn't okay. matter. That's it, okay. It doesn't matter. This is still. I believe in divine sovereignty, and uh, sounds like <clears throat> probably need to talk about neediness again. I, I was raised in a home. God, you know, God blessed my family, and you know, I, I'm grateful for uh, for the life I have, and I wouldn't have the life I have without the family I was raised in. Having said that, um, I was uh, raised in a family that really didn't recognize emotional needs. Uh, and uh, took uh, my father, well, shoot, he had 10 kids, and he didn't make much money, and he took care of the crucial needs, the, uh, Maslow's, you know, bottom layers on the hierarchy of needs. And so, you know, we had food and we had clothing, and, and uh, you know, it w we didn't freeze in the wintertime. Uh, but a lot of other things that today I would regard as legitimate needs for a full human life, uh, you know, they just weren't on the radar for us. And um, so I learned to deny uh, need for affirmation or emotional closeness or care or physical touch or nurture or... Um, I think that's how I, you know, responded to the absence of a lot of that stuff. Was I just, I just concluded that I didn't need it, and um, and that is a sad thing. Um, I have impoverished myself from a lot of human experience just by not admitting, uh, you know, the depth of my need. And I still do try to be, you know, I'm, you know, I try, I try to be a freaking emotional camel, you know, who can just travel <laughs> travel across the desert, and, you know, I, you know, I don't need love, I, and, and I want to be able to be generous with others. I think there is definitely uh, there's a part of me that recognizes the need because I'm fairly good at giving some of those things to others that I don't expect to receive from them. Uh, now I am growing, and I'm grateful 
for the signs of growth. And, and here's one weird way in which I know I'm growing. Early in our marriage, um, uh, you know, like all young people in love, uh, Allie and I would give each other back rubs. Now, Allie would let me rub her back for hours or days, you know. She just, I could rub her back forever. But uh, when she gave me a back rub, I could take it for about two minutes. And then all that attention just overwhelmed me. It felt wonderful. I mean, it felt, it, it just felt too good. It was too much attention, and I couldn't stand it anymore. And I would say, okay, that's good. I was much more comfortable in giving than in receiving. Uh, now, I've still, I'm, uh, I'm conscious when people are giving to me that it's costing them something, and after a while I get uncomfortable with them paying that price. But I am becoming much better at receiving care and nurture and attention and will actually allow my wife to serve me in ways that I wouldn't let her do it before. And it was unsel- it was I, in being unselfish, I was being selfish. I was controlling the equation and not allowing her. Um, I, it was kind of this forced inequality in our relationship. And the message I was giving was that she was more needy than me. And I don't think that's true. I think her needs in many respects are different from mine. But I'm as needy as she is. And uh, when those needs are not met directly and in legitimate ways, um, I'll find sideways uh, methods, means, you know, to go get it. And I think that really is what drove my sexual acting out for years and years and years. Uh, I wouldn't allow my wife to meet my needs directly and I was cut off emotionally from everybody else and then I think out of a sense of deprivation and entitlement uh, you know I soothed myself that I soothed the pain I wouldn't acknowledge consciously uh, with obsessive uh, and destructive illicit sexual activity so um, I'm learning to be more needy in a in a healthy way Um, and I know that that pendulum can swing too far and I don't want to be you know this needy person who just drains everybody around them Uh, but uh, as much as I would like to be a a rock the man with no needs uh, God has not created me that way and life is much fuller when I will acknowledge my needs and allow people around me to supply some of the care. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. You know, I feel really honored that you shared that because I didn't know how much it really spoke to your growth when you let me give you that two-hour <laughs> massage the other day. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that crosstalk? I'm sorry. That was crosstalk. We're not doing it, Eric. Uh, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Uh, the first thing that struck me was about neediness. Uh, was I don't like it. Uh, when I think of neediness, I think of um, being drained by needy people. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to be a magnet for needy people. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a bad thing? I don't know. 
but it I, I tend to uh, get just drained and milked mm-hmm. to the last drop. Um, and what what that has created in me is a, a sense where mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be that way. Mm-hmm. So some I think in some ways I may overcompensate to not be needy mm-hmm. with my family, with my wife, uh, because I don't want to look like the other people who drain me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know what it can do mm-hmm. uh, because I personally feel it from these other people, and I don't want my wife to feel that. Um, it's kind of I would kind of resonated with uh, <clears throat> with what Aaron was saying uh, about his relationship with his wife and and uh, y- y- neediness is it's definitely for me I think I look more of it as a external thing because most of it I deal with it on that level mm-hmm. where it's coming this way mm-hmm. um, and again I, I don't it's weird it's a fine line man I'm really trying to figure out that line of of, of helping and serving or being used mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that line gets gray. Uh, but then, of course, you know, there's obviously there are needs that I do have um, as a human being, as a man, as a, hus- as a husband. And I hope that I'm not withholding myself from my wife, especially, <coughs> to avoid being perceived as needy. Because mm-hmm. um, I, just, I just don't want, I just don't want that label. Yeah. You know, I don't want that label of Oh, you're just a needy man or a mm-hmm. needy husband. You have all these needs, and this, you know, and and saying the things that I'm thinking in my head about other people in my life. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. So it's you know, when you, when you said that, that's like me because I'm going through something right now with mm-hmm. with uh, a friend who loved dearly, mm-hmm. but man, I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's a, and and it's, again, it becomes a cycle. Mm-hmm. Then you have to. Then it's another line. Where do, where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- where do you unplug? Mm-hmm. You know, then it's the fear. Okay, well, will they walk away forever? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a lot of that. When I think of neediness, I think of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think of, you know, necessarily just the, the needy part of me and my wife and and that part. Of it. I think of it just in, in my my world right now. Uh, just neediness just means drama, and uh, but then of course you know. Then it's the, the at home life, <laughs> so uh, you know, not trying to bring that in here, and you know, and uh, it's it's a it's a definitely a, a tightrope, man, mm-hmm. you know, for me at this point. So, uh, yes, yeah, that set off some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So, I'm, I'm Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Yeah, thanks, Mondo. I'm Raymond. Hey, hey Raymond. Raymond. Um, thoughts go in two directions. One about my response to neediness, and then my my own neediness. As you were sharing just moments ago about your response to other people being needy, before we went on, you and I were talking about uh, a little bit of our experiences of being being a pastor. I've been an associate pastor in a church for a number of years before uh, being a, a therapist in private practice. And, I mean, now with what, what I do in, in private practice as a, as a therapist, I'm with, to some degree, people who are needy, uh, all day, every day, and I find in many ways I can handle that better than some of the stuff that I was dealing, some of the petty stuff I was dealing with in, in church. And one time I wrote in my journal, I, f- I feel like a giant ice cream soda and everyone in the world has a straw. <laughs> um, when, and you're right, the, the, the constant neediness 
uh, gets gets draining. I, I find for for myself, I can I can handle being very present with people who are who are really wounded and, and hurting. It's chronic whining and complaining. Mm-hmm. That that's what that's what really drains me. Um, as as far as my my own neediness, it was Nate as you were talking about your own family background. I'm an only child and was raised by a single mom from age six. My mom very self-sufficient, very emotionally present, present and and in giving. So there wasn't any any problems there. But being being a single mom in the mid '60s, you know, she was. Uh, she was in a minority, sort of a pioneer, and she was very self-sufficient. And I think I picked up on that. And as an only child, the only children get get a rap about being spoiled and selfish. I, I'm not sure that's so much our our danger is we we learn to become self-sufficient, sort of a sense of if you just leave me alone, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even as I mean, I can trace some of my. Um, counselor compassion stuff going going way back, but like you said, I'm I'm more comfortable offering care and support than than I am receiving it. It feels much more natural and comfortable for me <clears throat> going that way. And it's I think for me it's some of that that self sufficiency that I'm I'm okay I can I can figure this out. But what 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 can I do for you as a counselor? Quite frankly, I. I'm energized. I get a mm-hmm. counselors get a buzz out of out of helping helping other people. Where I have found that in in my, for instance, in my, in my marriage, a counselor said to my wife and I, um, the, the two of you are probably placing too high a premium on being low maintenance, mm-hmm. because my, my my wife is is very easy to live with. She's fun to live with. I'm easy to live with and fun to live with. And we were, and I never heard of it put that way, that we were putting too high a premium on being low maintenance. And we'd sort of sort of built that. We, we affirmed each other to other people about how easy we were to live with. Well, when you sort of build each other up and that that's your brand, well, you don't want to mess with that. So you don't really, we were backing off. We discovered both of us were, were backing off from acknowledging what our concerns were, what our needs were, what our, what our desires were. So it was a little bit of a breakthrough for, for us mm. to sort of he- hear that, that we were putting too high a premium on being low maintenance. Because we, you know, as a therapist, I'm here about and around people, and she's been around people who are, who are high maintenance. And so, you know, like we said, the, these, the pendulums, you, you end up swinging and overcompensating, mm. coming over here to, con- to, to overcompensate, because I don't want to be like so-and-so. I don't want to be like... like like that couple so a number of things about just that that word sort of resonated with me this morning thanks thanks Raymond all right boy what a great phrase oh yeah a too high a premium on being low maintenance yeah resonated with me all right we will be back with Raymond Presson here on the Pirate Monk Podcast Yo-ho. Daylight burns And your well runs dry And the sun wheel turns And your heart is dies 
it's alright Say with me, it's alright If the tempest comes And the levees fall And the waters rise And you lose it all It's alright Say with me It's alright If the Lord is standing with us, then we are not alone. We are not alone. All right, we're back on the pirate. Are we here? Yeah. We are. We're back. We're honestly back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And don't you guys feel good that you're actually sure of where you are while Nate's <laughs> still figuring it out? <laughs> always positive, always encouraging the Pirate Monk Podcast. It's like this Disney World map with a little arrow that says you, you, you are, are here. <laughs> we're, we're pointing to that right now for Nate. Yeah. And, and he still has to ask Mondo to read it for him. <laughs> Mondo, am I really here? Yes, you are. Existentially, am I really here? Well, I'm at the part of the park that I've been wanting to get to. Oh, yeah. We're, we're at the interview, and I'm so thrilled to uh, have this guy in the studio with us today. Uh, I became a fan on about, uh, yeah, about t- page 10 of the book. By then, I was hooked. This man can write. And, of course, I, I, this book arrived in the mail. I heard about it through the grapevine, and then it showed up. Uh, and you have to read a book that's entitled "When Will My Life Not Suck?" <laughs> yeah, you got you, you got to pick that up. <laughs> so, uh, Raymond Raymond Preston is the author. He is the uh, founder of Life Change Counseling Center and the Franklin uh, Marriage Center. Marriage Center. Marriage Center in Franklin. Uh, as he's told us at one time. A, a member of church staff, but now for many years a, a licensed, certified marriage and uh, family therapist, and a great writer, author of 11 books. Uh, this man can turn a phrase, can tell a story, and has something to say. And I greatly enjoyed what felt to me, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of like an exposition of the book of Philippians, although you you, you overlaid the story so well that if... if uh, so it didn't come across as a commentary right, at right. all. Uh, and and what was so endearing to me about the book, right from the beginning, Raymond, was that you opened very vulnerably with some of your own story, and talked about uh, you know so talked about your own asking of that question in your own life. When will my life not suck? Uh, talk to us about that. Probably the the place where I was asking that in the context of of the book, as you you were talking about, was being hospitalized for depression. One of the things that I say and acknowledge very early in the book, lest 
because you know people imagine that authors live some kind of charmed life, mm-hmm. and that if we can write, if we can if we can speak, then well, you probably don't have any issues. Your, yeah. your life your life is wonderful, and so I as I'm writing something like that, lest the, the reader think that I was only uh, even as a therapist just referring to to other people's lives, and lest the reader th- think or say, well, what would what would you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, professionally, look like you've got it all together. What would you know? And my my question is to the, to the reader: Does being hospitalized for depression count? Uh, which is really embarrassing for a therapist, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can imagine. It, it's really not really good marketing uh, for for a counseling <laughs> practice to be hospitalized for for depression. I, I'd always been content to understand that. Yeah. Professionally, conceptually, I didn't have a need to uh, yeah. get acquainted with that really up close and, and personal. But just sort of got uh, 2003 and in 2006 got just blindsided by severe episodes of depression. Mm. And so I, I wanted to be authentic about that. I don't go into a lot of detail mm-hmm. um, about hospitalization or, or the right. depression. Right, right. But just to, to let the reader know, I've been there got the t-shirt live live to tell about it yeah 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 so you know you're not some you know pollyanna who has never dealt with with uh dark thoughts with with uh hopelessness and despair with with uh ne- never gone down the rabbit trail of self-pity or resentment or you know built a case for entitlement you've never you're one of those people, you you know what it's like to be miserable. You know what it's like to recognize that in many respects you've made yourself miserable. Uh, I, I felt one of the key words during that time, and, and it worsened it, is mm-hmm. that particularly as, as a man, because uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of men are listening to, to this, and what's really dangerous for a man that exacerbates depression is the sense of, of being a failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that I am flawed, mm-hmm. and I felt during the depression I felt less than a man. I felt like that I was uh, was failing my family. Mm-hmm. Just that word, I'm I'm flawed. Mm-hmm. And when I'm counseling with with men who are dealing with depression, um, that's one of the themes that I look for. And it's when I'm most concerned about a man going through depression, is that when I hear those themes of failure because that's when that's when a man is most vulnerable to, to hurting himself or trying to take his life mm-hmm. is when he feels that that I have I've, I've dishonored myself or my family mm-hmm. and that that I'm a failure mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that happens in depression you you have a hard time imagining that it's going to be any different yeah because pe- people don't hurt themselves because they're depressed mm-hmm. they they hurt themselves when they become convinced that Tomorrow is not going to be any different than today. Yeah. The next day is not going to be different th- than the mm-hmm. day after. Mm-hmm. And so that sense of hopelessness is 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 really what puts a lot of men in trouble. In in addition to that sense of just being being flawed. Yeah. One of the one of the greatest gifts that a friend gave to me during during that time was when Roger Severino said to me, Raymond, this season does not define you. Yeah. Yeah. This this season does not define you. 
because I had sort of taken it on as this is my identity, yeah. and, and my identity is flawed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do we do? What are, <clears throat> Before you change gears, Nate, because you had that intake of breath. Yeah. Um, with there, any movie where there's a father talking to his son like Rob Roy, honor is the gift that a man gives himself, and... Uh, you know all of these manly movies where fathers are talking about honor and your word and all those things. Every man resonates with that watching those types of movies, and they're usually movies with bigger than life kinds of fathers doing amazing things. What do we do when we find out that we're not men of our words, that our honor has been besmirched by our behavior? Uh, you know because. I think when I watch those things on screen, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that is so right. That's so beautiful. I don't think that's me, though, because it only gives, like, this Hollywood pristine version, not the version where you go through, uh, you know, times of depression, losing a job, not being able to get another job, your wife's having to work to support your family, those things. How does a guy get to a place where he can get back that that hope of an identity that's in Christ and that's far bigger than simply the label of failure. Right. You know, as, as you talk about those stories and, and those movies, as, as inspiring as uh, you know, a movie like Braveheart is or, or Gladiator where, where the man finishes, finishes well, you know, one of the things that I, I appreciate so much about some of the, the, the movies in the last several years with some strong male characters is where there's the theme of redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite films recently that sort of flew beneath the radar was, uh, I think, uh, Robert Duvall in Get Low, mm-hmm. where he he commits this, this sin and has sort of made himself a recluse and, and punishing himself and has disqualified himself for... For grace, and you know, the, the movie ends with him, you know, finally, though reluctantly, embracing that that grace that he could not either, you know, pay for, for that grace and redemption, couldn't earn it or, or deserve it, um, and, and yet was still was still qualified mm-hmm. for it. He had mm-hmm. spent most of his his adult life as a recluse as punishment. For, for what he had done, and so sometimes I think men need different. We need different stories. We need we need those stories that that, that sort of have that magnetic pull that that bring us and, and pull us to, to lofty things, but um, we, we we fail. And so where's where's those stories? That again conclude with a sense of redemption. That um, yeah, and you, I mean, do you raise a similar question uh, in your book? It's, it's a question: What stories are we telling? What stories are we telling to each other? Uh, you talk about walking through a, a, a bookstore and you know reading the titles of you know how to change your best life now, how to change your life, <laughs> how to change your kid by you know. By Friday, how to have the perfect marriage, and by Wednesday, uh, and I, I know that that's one of the greatest battles for men and women in recovery. Okay, you're confronted, you're drawn into the great Paschal mystery of the Christian life, 
you're faced with your I mean you you have to die you've got to go under the water you've got to fail it feels like you're drowning you're not you're never going to experience resurrection and true life in Christ until uh, you know the religious self and all your best effort dies but that is a terrifying experience and it feels like you're going to be under the water forever mm-hmm. and um, and and recovery is a process, just as sanctification is a process. In fact, I equate them in many mm-hmm. respects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most guys or most people early in recovery feel a tremendous amount of shame that they're a failure now, that they're officially an addict of one kind or another. Um, and uh, they're tremendously impatient to get better now. <laughs> right? Right. Right. And start to dispensing advice to other people right away and you know just they're going to be a new person, they're going to flip the leaf, it's going to be magical. Um and it can be depressing when it starts. I watch sometimes a guy gets into recovery the and and he has what we call the pink cloud experience of the first few weeks or even the first few months where the obsession is gone. All of a sudden he's he's making forward progress at light at warp speed he cannot believe that life can become this good this quick and then boom he hits the wall usually with a relapse of one kind mm-hmm. or another or a setback in some part of his life and now he's faced with the fact that he's facing a process and it's and it could take a very long time and in that can come hopelessness despair a, a a feeling that I'm even more of a failure. Uh, and it was set up by a false narrative. And I'm sorry, I was supposed to ask a question. I no, but I, I resonate with what you're saying because a lot of times I'm sharing something similar with, with clients because I'm telling them, sometimes I'll have a couple, they'll have a breakthrough. Yeah. And I say to them, you know, it's it's okay between the now and the next time that we meet that you have a setback. Yeah. And I'd almost prescribe one for you so that you can you can have it yeah and, and get it over with but I always tell whether it's a couple or an individual dealing with some kind of recovery grief recovery yeah addiction recovery is that the tendency is to interpret and respond to a setback as though gosh I'm right back where I started from that that recovery is as you know it's progress plateau and setback yeah. I, I wish I tell my clients I I, I wish for you I wish for, for me that it was more like physical recovery. You know, you break a bone, and unless you do something stupid, the healing is both progressive and consistent. It's yeah. like this upward sloping straight line. Yeah. And emotional, spiritual healing is not that pretty, not that consistent, not that straight. It looks more like a lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. Progress, plateau, setback. And, and a key is when there's a setback, not to interpret that and internalize that and respond and go, Gosh, I'm right back where I started from. And sometimes one of the hard things is is that other people will tell you that when you yeah. when you fail yeah. when you make yeah. a mistake. You haven't changed. Yeah. You haven't changed. You're you're the same person. You're the same guy. Yeah. Uh, you're you're right back where you, where you started from. Yeah. Um, and that so that pronouncement upon ourselves in, in that is, is is pretty significant. The other thing that I, I find sometimes with with men, as you said, they they want that that quick fix because we are fixers. I had a client. Who his he's uh, one of those handyman's 
a handyman who who can fix anything. Mm-hmm. And so his his experience is you give him uh, a little bit of time, the the, the resources, the, the tools, and he can fix about any, just fix yeah. about just anything. Yeah. And so he he's come to this place where his his marriage is in shambles, and his experience is with a little bit of time and the right knowledge and the right tools. Right. I, I can turn this around. Yeah. And I've had to say to him, she's she's not a a deck on yeah. the back of the house. She's not a yeah a driveway that's 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 crumbling. You know, yeah. She she is, and this is going to be a process. And I watched him struggle with with the patience and yeah. having to say to him that at times, no, there there isn't anything that you can do to fix her. Yeah. You can't make her trust you this week. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a tough thing. I know in talking with guys, you know, that they get into recovery and they want to help their wife, and I have to deliver the bad bad news, the sad news, that the, the one person on the planet disqualified, <laughs> the one person who can, she will not listen to, cannot listen to, right. is you. Even if you know what's right, you can't tell her. Yeah. yeah. I think reconciling that God is the God that knocks good things down so that we can actually have faith is really important here. I and mean, we were just talking about the Tower of Babel a couple of weeks ago and God looking at man and saying, oh, if man does this, he's going to be able to do anything, so I'm going to knock it down, which sounds really petty mm-hmm. of God. Um, but I think it was very much about God telling man, you need to spread out, you need to be in places where you're trusting me seasonally. You need to be in these agrarian societies. And they all got together and they leaned on each other so they didn't have to lean on God. And God said, all right, I can knock down your tower for your sake. Nothing God ever does is petty. But in our hearts, you know, you talk about these struggles we go through that we call ourselves a failure, but often those are the exact same stories by which we call God not good. Those two things go together and that's so dangerous for my heart because when each of us gets to that place where Satan says, God doesn't want you to eat this, what's that mean about God? He's always about trying to get us to question God's goodness because if we can question that, well, then now God's suspect for everything else and now my failure is complete because I've got no one to turn to. Mm-hmm. So reconciling that God actually... I mean, you talk about prescribing the... Uh, the you didn't say the relapse. Your word was better and sounded less bad for you. But anyways, it, that's exactly what God seemed to do in Acts 10 with Peter, with the whole eat, lowering the net, eat this unclean food, to which Peter says, I have never eaten any unclean thing. And it, I think it is our perfect records that keep us from actually relating with God's vision as often as our imperfect records. Mm. I mean, God was prescribing him to go and break his perfect record because it was in the way. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, in your book, Raymond, uh, you really urge people to move beyond these theodicy questions, these questions about why God uh, allowed such and such to happen when we encounter... Uh, tragedy or disappointment, uh, illness, all these things that hit us. Uh, and to move from that question to the what next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in your mind, is that is that key to maintaining forward momentum to keep from getting from stalling or from slipping backward? Yeah, the first thing that I always like to uh, say to folks regarding the why question, because sometimes people are told, Christians are told, don't don't ask God why. You shouldn't ask God why. Uh, can't be angry with with God. Mm-hmm. And I first I, I look at some of the examples in, in Scripture uh, of people who ask God why. Mm-hmm. Job, of course, and uh, David. Mm-hmm. You know, why why do why do the righteous mm-hmm. suffer? Um, when the angel comes to Gideon and, and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and Gideon says, oh, really? Uh, if the Lord is with us, then you know, why are we getting you know, yeah. slaughtered every, every harvest season for the past you know, seven years? It's Gideon's way of saying, if, if God is with us, I'd hate to see what it would be like if, he, if God was for us yeah. and he's with us. I'd hate to see what it would be like if he was, he was against us. Um, you know, Jeremiah basically accused God said to God you've set me up yeah you have set me up these people are laughing their heads off at me so I, I apparently God's big enough to to take our our questioning and our, our wrestling with with him um, the disciples you know asked Jesus why this this guy he's been he's been blind since birth um, who sinned uh, yeah. his, his parents or him sometimes the, the the why question our desire to to get an answer to the why question is so that we can affix blame mm-hmm. is it my fault is it someone else's fault is it is it god's fault but one of the things that i i kept finding in my counseling practice is that ultimately the answers i mean it, it sounds like a head question i want the facts i want the answers why did this happen is as though the answer in the the facts, if you could get a factual answer, that your heart would go, oh, well, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, now that I know that, I mean, imagine if, if, if Job, you know, when when Job said, you know, yeah. God, why did all this happen? And and God said, well, you know, Satan came to me and asked to do this and this and this, and I said, well, okay. When here's 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 how this went down, as if Job would say after losing everything and everyone close, the people closest to him, except his wife, can you imagine Job saying? Oh, well, okay. Well, now, now I understand that. I'm, yeah. I'm okay now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the heart has to wrestle with those those why questions. But what I tell folks is that at some point, at some point, the why question has to become the now what yeah. question or, or or the what what next question, because oftentimes the the answers to those questions never come or quite frankly the, the answers are not and will not be satisfactory yeah and so what what do you do if you don't either get the the answer to the why question or your answer is is not satisfactory yeah then at some point you're left with okay now now what and so um that that's vital to to to, to moving forward yeah Less, less we get stuck emotionally and, and, and spiritually. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to really emphasize that I, I highly recommend this book uh, for listeners to the podcast. Uh, the title again is When Will My Life Not Suck? And the author is Raymond Presson, P-R-E-S-S-O-N. You can find it on Amazon. You can request it from uh, 
your local Christian bookstore or any other purveyor of fine books, they can get it for you. Um, this is uh, it's a book. It's a it's a great work that deserves a wide leadership and uh, re- readership. And thank you so much for writing it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate the invitation today. Oh, good to have you with us. We'll be back on the Pirate Monk podcast. It was a perfect game, although we didn't win. It was a perfect game, though we took one on the chin. Even though we lost, we can say we were there. Great conversation. I think that's another one you keep saying these are interviews people are going to need to go back and listen to a few times. Yeah, yeah. Because that that had a number of threads that uh, oh yeah, you know didn't didn't strike me personally, but I could think of at least five <laughs> people who needed to hear it. Um, Let's talk about the chapter of den- about denial. <laughs> That river in Egypt. So we've got uh, one. We want to remind everyone, send us some mail. Even though our mailbox is totally full, there's room for your letter. So you would send that to... SamsonPodcast at gmail.com. SamsonPodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to send a piece of paper written with pen or pencil, you could send it to... Box 224, Franklin, Tennessee, 37065. You don't have to repeat that one because they're not gonna. So we've got a. Uh, you know what? That'd be cool though, man. Because you know we haven't gotten a, a handwritten letter in a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we may need to have a little uh, surprise. I may have to may... go over and pay the rent on the post office box. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We may not have box two two four. Unless you send your letter now, we'll lose the box. Keep the box alive. Yeah. 
Uh, sorry, I felt. Never mind. That's I just right. filtered what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> Nate, give yes. us the information on the 48 Hours. Oh yeah, well the uh, the 2010 48 Hours tour continues. It's march across this great country. Uh, last weekend, uh, it was Eugene, Oregon. Here it was a great uh, great weekend there. Coming up, the next one, Richmond, Virginia, June 16th, 17th. Uh, you can find out more details. You can register on the main page, the right-hand column, at SampsonSociety.net. And with that, that's all we've got for today. So we will talk to you next week on Pirate Monk Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> wow, there it is. There it is. Arc. <laughs> Try!